0: chorus this morning because this morning we're looking at the very passage that that song is taken from. So if you have your Bibles would you turn with me please to Psalm 32. Psalm 32 in the Old Testament part of the Bible. If you open your Bible roughly around the middle it's probably going to open somewhere near the book of Psalms. And the Psalms where the the hymns and, and songs of worship that David wrote, among others, uh, for the temple worship in Jerusalem. And this one is a psalm of David, as you'll see at the top there. David who fought Goliath and then became the king of Israel. And uh, it says it's a skill. You say, what does that mean? That's a good question. A lot of Bible commentators would, know, uh, would like to know. Uh, we think it means it's a song of instruction. Something that teaches us, you know, that sometimes songs are uh, emotional, but other songs are instructive. This is an instructive song uh, that David wrote. Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. Please keep your Bibles open there. I read about a man in America who was a Christian. He was a, a legal man, he was a Chief Justice. His name was Chief Justice Melvin Fuller. Uh, he was a, an active Christian as well as a man in the legal profession. And on one occasion, he was involved in a big conference on education and the need of education. And for some reason, there was a man in the congregation who got up and started ranting on uh, about the evils of education. And uh, he seemed to have an anti-intellectual bias. And he said, I thank God I've never been in contact with a college or a university. And he sat down. And Chief Justice Melvin Fuller looked at the gentleman and he responded. He said, sir, do I understand your thanking God then for your ignorance? And the man said, yes, I suppose I am. And Chief Justice Fuller said, well, sir, I think you have a lot to be thankful for. <laughs> well, you know, it seems to me that all of us who are Christians have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? And we have so many reasons to praise the Lord. And in this psalm, David is calling God's people to praise him for the many blessings that he has given us in our life. I agree with John Stott when he says in the, that the last verses are the best place to begin. Have a look at verse 11 here, the last verse at the end. Because it says, rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous; sing, all you who are upright in heart. David's conclusion at the end of this psalm is to praise God, and he calls on the righteous, God's people, who are trusting in Him for salvation, to be worshippers and to praise God with all of their hearts. And that leads on beautifully then to the next psalm, verse uh, 30, thirty-three, and verse one: Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. And so on. David is calling us to praise God for the many things that he has done for us. Like we used to have that old hymn count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. It's good sometimes to stop and to think about these blessings and David who had just come out of a very dark time in his life when he wrote this psalm a time of sin and backsliding his sin of uh, adultery with Bathsheba and uh, the murder of her husband Uriah we read about that in 2 Samuel 11 and 12 David wrote this psalm of praise on the back of that sorry event which God brought him out of And I want us to have a look at this this morning so we also can see reasons to rejoice. You know, I I read of a a Christian writer uh, who said it's his habit at the end of the day to take a, a mental magnet over his day and sweep over the day for all the things to be thankful for. And that was his his attitude of thanksgiving at the end of the day. Sweep over the day and have a look at all the things that there are to be thankful for. I think that's a good thing for us to do always in our lives, isn't it? Sweep our lives with the magnet of uh, God's spirit, uh, as it were, searching through us uh, to see the things that we have got. To be thankful for in our lives. You know, what an attitude difference it would make in us, what a testimony it would be to others. M.R.D. Hahn, the uh, great Christian writer of years ago and the man who started the uh, radio Bible class, he gave this testimony about his parents all those years ago. He said, My mother was a thankful woman who, although she was sick for most of her married life, never ceased to praise the Lord. My father, A shoemaker who never earned more than $12 a week was a singing Christian. What a precious heritage, what blessed memories. Now isn't that true? You know you meet a joyful, rejoicing Christian, it leaves a testimony with you. That's the type of people we want to be. So let's have a look this morning at this psalm, shall we? And see four things in it which are reasons for us also to rejoice, which David said. First of all, there's the reason uh, of total forgiveness. Total forgiveness in verses 1 to 5. Forgiveness of God uh, for our sins. You know, the Lord Jesus said to a man on one occasion, Be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. Now that man was a sick man. But Jesus says, one thing you can be thankful for. Be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. And you know what, that's something for us To rejoice in as well. Uh, If our sins are forgiven. What a great, great blessing that is. And in fact that's where David begins here. He begins with two Beatitudes. uh, As we would call them in verses 1 to 2. Blessed is he. Now this is actually how the book of Psalms begins. Doesn't it? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And that is all about the man who walks with the Lord. But here David says there's also a blessing for the man who sinned. And sought God's forgiveness and salvation. And he says, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. David highlights here uh, the sins uh, that that he himself was guilty of and the forgiveness of it and how it led to blessing in his life and rejoicing from his own heart. He uses three words for sin here. Now, we only see two in the version I'm using, the NIV. If you're using an old King James, you'll spot them. Uh, They're the word transgression and sin in verse 1. And in verse 2, uh, it says sin in the NIV or iniquity in the King James Version. Those are the three Bible words, three major Bible words for sin. Transgression means to violate a law. If I break the law by driving the speed faster than the speed limit, I'm a transgressor of the law. And we have all broken God's law. Sin is lawlessness, says 1 John. And we've broken God's Ten Commandments. And we've we've done those things that God said not to do: not to take His name in vain, not to look lustfully at a woman, not to tell lies, not to uh, to uh, steal or murder. Uh, and we've broken those Ten Commandments. We are transgressors of god's law but we're also sinners the word sin means to fall short it's an archery term if you fire a bow and arrow and the arrow hits the ground before hitting the target in archery terms that's called a sin and that's what we have done as far as god's target of perfection is romans three twenty three says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god and that's every single one of us, all of us. That's Romans 3, verse 23. We've all fallen short, not only of our own standards, but especially of God's. But also iniquity. What does the word iniquity mean? Iniquity means crookedness. It's interesting, isn't it? If, we, if a man is a, a lawbreaker, a criminal, we say he's a, a crook and that's where this comes from. Uh, it comes from being iniquitous, being that which is not straight in in dealing and, and, and in behavior. And we've all done things that are crooked one way or another. Whether it's bending the truth a little bit here and there to get out of trouble, we're all being iniquitous. And uh, David says that these are serious sins because God is a holy God, and God will punish sin, and He will justly. judgment as we saw in the children's talk uh, with the bronze serpent story but when we come to the lord and ask him to forgive us our sins that's a different matter altogether when we come to him put our trust in his son in the lord jesus christ it results in salvation and there's three words for salvation here just as there were three words for sin if you look in verse one again blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, forgiven. you know the word forgiven there in the Hebrew is a word that means to lift a burden, lift a burden. I remember the, the first person I think it was that I led to the Lord here in this church, in my ministry here, was a lady who was dying of cancer. And the family had asked me to go and visit her because she was asking to see a pastor. So I went to see her and there was this, I've never seen anybody dying of cancer before, but it was a sight. And it was a very shriveled lady. Once a very elegant lady. But she was shriveled up in her bed. And the tears flowed as she poured out her heart to me. She said, I've been a very proud woman. She said, I wouldn't come to God. I wouldn't, wouldn't come to church. Didn't want anything to do with the Christians. But she said, I know I need to be saved. And it was my privilege to tell her that if she looked to the Lord Jesus Christ, her sins could be forgiven. And we prayed together. And she put her trust in the Lord Jesus. And do you know what she said? She said, I feel like a huge weight has fallen off my shoulders. And it had. She'd been forgiven. Her sin had been lifted off her. And she was no longer guilty before God. Forgiven. By him. That's a wonderful thing that can happen to all of us if we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our sins can be forgiven. David also says in verse 1, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Covered. Now, this is especially in its context in the Old Testament, because in the Old Testament, before the Lord Jesus came, there was a sacrificial system that God established in the temple where the sins of a person could be covered over by the sacrifices of the animals, the lambs and the bulls and the goats and so on. And the sin uh, was covered over by the blood of those animals until the Lord Jesus came and paid for those sins in the future. It's a little bit like the olden days when you used to send off your insurance uh, for your car and you would get a covering note you know, until, you got a, until your insurance had come through. That's what those Old Testament sacrifices were for. They were to cover over until the Savior came to pay for them on the cross. And David was in that context saying "Whose sins are covered, covering over that ugly sight. We can go one better than David and we can say our sins are removed. And we're washed clean in the precious blood of Christ, uh, which cleanses them away totally. But that's another part of salvation, a lifting of a burden and the covering of an ugly sight. I remember when I was a boy, I uh, used to love making model aeroplanes. And it wasn't just the fun of sticking them together as fast as I could, uh, you know, uh, with all that super glue everywhere. Uh, But it was It was the painting of them as well. I could barely wait for the thing to dry before I wanted to paint it. And I had all these tins of enamel paint that were very hard to get the lids off on. And I remember doing it in my bedroom. And I was meant to be doing it in the garden because it was, you know, on the grass. And, uh, of course, it had to happen, didn't it? You know, the lid came off and the pot fell over and all this enamel paint spread over my table. Well, that was okay. It was on the table. It wasn't on the floor. But what I didn't realise was my dad had drilled a little hole to let the wires for a lamp through to the other side. And it it all went down the hole and it all went on the brand new, the bedroom carpet. And uh, this green paint on a red carpet, can you imagine the stain? It was terrible. That was the worst day of my life. (laughs) My (laughs) mum. And, uh, you know, forever afterwards, we had to put a rug over that to cover it. If I could have done anything to have had that stain taken away, I would have done. Do you know when Jesus came, he took away the stain of my sin forever. So I can stand clean before him. And the final word that David uses here is, uh, a, a, is really a, a business term for cancelling a debt. Have a look in verse 2. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. It does not count against him. The debt has been cancelled. In fact, if you read it in the King James Version, it uses an old word. We don't use it anymore, but it's the word impute. And it says, whose sin the Lord does not impute against him. Now, what does impute mean? It means to put it on your account. If you go to the, uh, to the shops with your credit card and uh, you're, you're paying for something, you put it on your account, on your credit card bill, which you're going to pay later. It's imputed to you. Well, here's the wonderful thing. When you ask the Lord to save you, your sins are no longer Put on your account. That is absolutely wonderful. And Paul picks up on this in Romans chapter 4 when he talks about justification by faith. Our sins aren't even laid to our account against us. Isn't that wonderful? You know, I know so many people who are worried about things they've done wrong. Even as Christians, they've got a guilty conscience about something that happened in the past. But if they're truly resting in Christ, their sin is not imputed to their account. God isn't keeping the score with them on that anymore. Their sin was imputed instead to Jesus Christ and it was put on him so that he paid for it on the cross. And as Charles Spurgeon says, it can't be in two places at once. It's either on you or it's on Christ. And since Christ has carried it, it's not put on our account anymore. So blessed indeed. Praise the Lord, says David. Blessed means happy, rejoicing. Blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, is the man who sinned the Lord does not count against him, in whose spirit there is no deceit. And that's important because, you know what, we can be deceitful with our own hearts about that. Because we can say, well, you know, that's fine for those other people, but I've I've lived a good life. And you know what? We're deceiving ourselves. The Bible says the heart above all things is deceitful and desperately wicked. We can try and con ourselves that we don't need it. But we won't find salvation and forgiveness like that. In fact, David lived in that sort of denial himself after his own sin with Bathsheba. And it didn't go well with him. He became actually sick. You know, you can make yourself emotionally sick uh, because of sin. And this is what happened. David said in verse 3, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long. David says that in another psalm about this back in Psalm 6 as well. It was physically affecting his joints and his bones, his illness. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. God's convicting power was weighing on him. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And as uh, yes, we think David, what this means is that David was suffering from a fever from it. It was it was getting him down and making him his immune system low and he was ill. But then comes the turning point in verse five. David says, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin." Like the prodigal son who, when he went away from home and was living in rebellion against his father, he went down, 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 and he ended up in the pigsty, didn't he? And even in the pigsty, he was hanging in there until one day, it says in Luke's gospel, he came to his senses. He had a wake-up moment, and he said, I will go to my father, and I will say, I've done wrong against heaven and against you. And this is what David was saying. He said, I came to the point when he said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And like the prodigal son, he found his father was coming to meet him halfway. (laughs) Coming out to meet him, couldn't wait. And he says, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And that's the first reason for thanksgiving. I want to ask you, do you know that? Because if you do, you'll be a joyful Christian. There'll be something to rejoice in all your days. You know the great philosopher, uh, uh, Blaise Pascal? He was a Christian. He had a dramatic conversion, a really wonderful conversion to Christ. And it was such a big thing to him to become a Christian, to be forgiven of his sins. Do you know what he did? He wrote out his testimony on paper and he stitched it inside his jacket. So he wore it next to his heart all the time. And he actually went through eight coats after he became a Christian. He changed and restitched it into each coat after that. He carried it next to his heart. It was his heart's reason for rejoicing. Do you know that? Forgiveness is a wonderful thing and it can lead to great joy in our hearts if we know Christ as savior and lord. But you have to respond. You have to be like David and say, "I will confess" It's no good living in denial of that spirit of deceit. You have to honestly come to God and say, I need to be forgiven. I know what I've done is wrong. And I ask you to forgive me on Jesus Christ's account. And trust, I trust in him to be my savior. And that sin will no longer be imputed to you. And you will have salvation. Like a check, it's only any good if you cash it. God has provided it. The check is in your hands. What will you do with it now is up to you. It will only do you any good if you go to him and ask for that salvation. Secondly, we can rejoice because of answered prayer. In verses 6 and 7, David follows on in his psalm by saying this with a therefore. uh, And this follows on from knowing salvation. It's the first thing, salvation, most important. But secondly, therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found and answers to prayer are a great reason for thanking and rejoicing in the lord i heard about an old lady who was very old and she would always just mumble this little prayer in the prayer meeting oh lord thank you jesus oh lord Thank you, Jesus. And that's what she prayed every time in the prayer meeting. This was in America. And after a while, someone asked her, you know, "Why why do you say that prayer? You know, it's the same prayer. She said, listen, she said, I have lived in downtown, and she named the city. It was in New York. And she said, we lived in a place where gang warfare was a reality. And I tell you, it wasn't uncommon for bullets to come through our window or our door at night. She said, you'll understand what it means to say, oh Lord, when a crisis happens. And she said, I had a precious daughter I was raising on my own. And when the bullets started to fly, we would fall on the floor and we would say, oh Lord. That's the only prayer we could say, oh Lord. It was frightening. And every day I would take her in this terrible downtown place where we lived. I'd take her to the bus to go to school. And I never knew if she would come home harmed or or alive and well. And when she got on the bus, I'd put her on the bus and I said, oh, Lord. But she said, you know what? Every time the bullet stopped and every time my girl came off the bus, she said, I would say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. She said, I've spent my life saying, oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. And she had a life of testimony to answer prayer. And David says this is, this is another reason for giving thanks. You know, we should, we are we who are saved and have been made godly by the work of the Lord Jesus, we should pray to the Lord while he may be found. What does that mean? While he may be found, does that mean God sometimes isn't there? No. This is especially in the Jewish context. While they were in Jerusalem for the feast, it was uh, in the days when they, the temple was the, the localized presence of God on earth. And, and in those occasions, there were special opportunities for prayer with God's people. But today, we can pray to the Lord any time, in any place, and we should do, and we should give thanks for answered prayer and david does that here in this psalm he says surely when the mighty waters rise they will not reach him you are my hiding place you will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance it's an amazing thing to be able to look back and see how god has protected you i came across this story in a, a The Samaritan's Purse magazine, which some of you may get, you know the shoebox people, Samaritan's Purse, they don't just do the shoeboxes, they do a lot of relief work in different places around the world and very often in America when there's been a, uh, a weather crisis or something like this. And back in 2016, there was some uh, severe floods in South Carolina, in the area called Columbia, South Carolina. And the couple in the picture, Earl and Cynthia Pierce, were Christians. And about half past four in the morning, Earl woke up to the sound of, of rain and he could see water was rising outside. And he got out and he went to move the car to a higher piece of ground because he was worried about the flooding he came back his wife was up and they were getting anxious about the rain and uh, they started moving the furniture on top of the table to lift it up off the floor they were worried about it coming in under the door it didn't come in under the door it came up through the floor and in 20 minutes it was up to their knees and soon they had to leave their caravan and they were wading out in water up to their necks this is a true story, I've got it here well, they gave it into the Lord's hands and thankfully, after the, the damage had been done, Samaritan's Purse sent a team to that area to come and clear up the wreckage, have you ever seen flood wreckage all the mud and the debris it's terrible, well these volunteers came and cleansed the house and put it back together again ready for builders to come and do their next stage and uh, their parting gift was a Bible And they said receiving help from their volunteers was an overwhelming blessing. You know, literally, God helped them in the floods crisis, didn't he? And David is saying, you know, when we're in the crisis of life, maybe the floodwaters are rising around us in other ways, in pressure and different things. We can look to the Lord and we can pray to him and we can be thankful when he answers our prayer. And you know what, I think sometimes we, do, we fail to realize how many things we have been delivered from. And I think if we stopped, we would have more to praise God for than we, we realize in answers to prayer. I heard about a, a soldier who came back from the Vietnam War in America and everybody wanted to hear a war story. And he said, he, in the end, his way of dealing with it was this. He said, do you know the thing that really amazed me? he said, it was all the bullets that missed me. <laughs> and you know what? I think that's a great way of looking at life. You know, sometimes people say, oh, why did that happen? Or why did that? Hang on a minute. What about all the stuff you and I never saw happen? What about all those accidents that never happened on the motorway when you were traveling on holiday? What about all those illnesses you never went down with? You know what? If we realized how many things we've been spared from, We would say, Lord, you've protected me in the floods of life. How much we have to give thanks for. Dear friends, let's be a praising Christian and thank God for answered prayer. Thirdly, we have the reason of spiritual guidance in verses 8 and 9. David's psalm goes on and he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and Watch over you. Now, in Psalm thirty one, two Psalms before this, in verse three, David was praying for guidance. Uh, He said in Psalm thirty one, verse three Since you are my rock and my fortress, for your sake for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Well, here, two Psalms later, David receives his answer because in this part of the Psalm, now the Lord is talking and the Lord is talking to David and us through him and saying, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. What a blessing that is to know God's guidance in our lives, to have God as our teacher uh, and the one who can spiritually lead us on the journey of life. We sing that hymn, don't we, by Fanny Crosby, all the way my saviour leads me, what have I to ask beside? And it really is true, you know, when uh, uh, I was growing up and I've seen this with my children as well, you know, you come to that point when you're looking at what am I going to do when I leave school and how is life, what steps am I going to take for the future? And you put your hand in the Lord's and he guides you in his way. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing to know God's guidance. It's like having a spiritual sat-nav as you wait on him for the way to go. And God's promise is, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. And that's something we can be thankful for. God will instruct us and teach us if we pray to him and look to him. He will make it known to us. He says, I will counsel you in the NIV. Uh, the word that is translated there is the word that was used of jethro in the old testament coming to moses when he had a bit of a problem in the camp of israel too many people there uh, for him to manage as the overseer and jethro came along his father-in-law and came along with the wisdom and said look what you need to do is subdivide and put men over each of these different groups and then you handle the bigger things god was giving him counsel through jethro And it's that sort of thing God often does in our lives. When we're looking for wisdom and guidance, he can send somebody to give us guidance. But sometimes it's by the leading of his Holy Spirit as well. Again, I I make reference to the King James Version. The King James Version translates that second half because it is quite an interesting phrase in the Hebrew. He says, I will guide thee with mine eye. Someone was asking me about that. What does that mean, I will guide thee with mine eye? You know, in the olden days, servants used to look for gestures from the master or the mistress or or the king or the queen, and they would gesture with their hands. Psalm 123 makes reference to that. We watch for the moving of your hands. And uh, if you've ever seen the film Dune, not that I recommend it really, but in the film Dune, there was a a scene where the where the, the king made a movement of a finger and soldiers stepped forward. They understood the small gestures well in a really well trained house the king would only have to look or the master would only have to look and uh, look at an empty glass and a servant would come with a jug of water or something and god's guidance can be that sensitive when we're walking with him he can guide us with his eye spiritually showing us the way to go and, uh, I, you know, I, I was thinking about this, just, and as we were just having a prayer time before, I, the story came back to me. Do you remember Rod Walsh who came here uh, a few years ago? He had his big model of the ark, Noah's Ark. He was an Australian, and he was an evangelist, and he used to go around uh, the world with this huge model of Noah's Ark and giving talks on Noah's Ark. Well, he stayed with us overnight, and uh, he and his wife were a lovely couple, and they told us this story he told about this time when he went for a walk one day in the outback of australia and he felt god was saying he he needed to get alone with the lord to clear his head to talk with the lord and while he was out there walking around in the outback he saw a tree and rod was loaded with tracts all the time i mean he's like like Val with tracts and julie and and he saw this tree and a branch on the tree and he felt in his heart the lord was saying to him Put a tract in that tree. Now, most people would say, oh, come on, that's stupid. That's super spiritual Christians. Well, Rod said, okay, Lord, I'll do that. And he wedged a little tract in a tree in the middle of the outback. Nobody goes out in the outback. Well, he said, the interesting thing about this story is he said, I actually heard the other side of what happened. He said, you don't normally hear what happens when you give out a tract. He said, but some years later, I was speaking at a church. And he said, I met a man. He said, do you know how I was converted? He said, I was in despair at the existence of God. I was trying to figure it out. And I went for a walk in the outback. And I said, God, if you are there, show me. And I looked up and there was a tract in the tree. And I picked up that tract and it led me to Christ. Now... That's a wonderful story, isn't it? I mean let's be encouraged to give out tracts. But he was led by the Spirit of God, less sensitive leading, where God says, I will guide you with mine eye. You know, the other way is you're like a donkey or a horse in verse 9. And David says, do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, which must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. You know, you have to use force to steer a horse's head. You know, you pull on the reins to get its head to turn around this way. You know, sometimes God has to do that with us because we're not seeking him and walking with him. Jonah had that type of experience. He said, "Uh, I'll go off to uh, Tarshish. And God said, no, you're going to Nineveh and God ranked, uh, turned the reins around so he went to Nineveh God, David says don't be like the mule or the horse stubborn like that let God guide you with his eye and you will have reasons to rejoice oh dear friends can you, can you not look back on your life and see how God has led you you know this verse is very very precious to me because in 2010 I was about to leave a church and I had nowhere else to go and i was praying to god and it was my birthday and i was invited to go to the ladies meeting in the church and uh it was my birthday they sang happy birthday to me and they had a a a promise box and do you remember the promise box with the little rolls of bible verses inside and they said pick a promise out and i thought well i'll Humor them, you know, and I took a Bible verse out and it was this. I said, that's lovely, that's just what I need. I will counsel you, I'll guide you with mine, that's lovely. Anyway, the speaker that day uh, was Stephen Gillum, the county's evangelist, and He got up to speak and he said, I've been having a terrible day. He said, I went into a school today and the school wasn't expecting me. There'd been a double booking or something and and something else had gone wrong. But he said, my day just got better. And he had flashcards of what he was going to speak on. And he put up his verse. I will counsel you and guide you with my eye. Psalm uh, 32 verse 8. You see, God is real. And uh, after that, uh, I received a phone call uh, to come here as pastor. So, God guided me. And we can give thanks for God's guidance, can't we, when we know it? It's such a precious thing to look back on life's journey. So, let's spiritually uh, walk with the Lord, and we'll have reason for rejoicing. And then, finally, last reason for rejoicing is God's unfailing love. Verse uh, 10 says, Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him in a way this last verse sums up some of the things before David had been in the first part of the verse when he was sinning with Bathsheba and he hadn't been repentant and he had been in the woes of the wicked but now he was restored he was enjoying the Lord's uh, love in, in all its blessing and mercy his unfailing love now the unfailing love in Hebrew is the word chesed which is God's covenant love? It's His covenant commitment. It would be uh, like the covenant love in a marriage, and God pledges that love to us when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. And this love, David says, surrounds the man who trusts in Him. If you ever looked up at the moon and seen like a, a glow, a halo, almost around the moon. All the way around. You can't see anything of the moon except it's got this bright rim around it. Well, that's what it's like for a child of God. We may not always feel it, but we have God's love. His unfailing love surrounding us. Underneath, above, round about, going before, following behind, everywhere we go. And that is something to rejoice in. You know, uh, uh, the psychiatrist Karl Menninger said true love is the medicine for our sick old world. But I want to tell you the place where you'll find true love is in Jesus Christ and in God. And his unfailing love will get you rejoicing for the rest of your life. Even in difficult situations. Richard Wern- Wernbrandt, you remember him, the man who was uh, put in prison by the communists in Romania. He said this. He said, I have seen Christianity in communist prisons with 50 pounds of chains on our feet, tortured with red hot pokers in whose throats spoonfuls of salt were forced being kept afterwards without water, starving, whipped, suffering from cold and yet praying with fervor for the communists. This it's humanly inexplicable, but it is the love of Christ which was shed into our hearts. <laughs> That's the reality, isn't it? God will work that love in you, and it'll shine out to others as well. So dear friends, if you're a believer today, go out of this place rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart, for you have total forgiveness. You have answers to prayer. You have God's guidance, his spiritual guidance. And you go out surrounded by his unfailing love. The Lord bless you. Shall we sing his praise?